0: Come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his, his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dark places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept in garnish. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. And he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it? And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be unto this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment. With the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So far we read God's holy, inspired word. Now, verse 28. And he said, Rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. I'll stand up as long as, until my leg says it's time to sit down. Tuesday, this Tuesday, December, October 31 is Reformation Day. It was on this day, in 1517, that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, challenging a debate on the sale of indulgences. By purchasing indulgences, the faithful of the church were supposedly able to lighten and shorten the suffering of their loved ones in purgatory. This was a symptom of everything that was wrong at the church at this time. The church had over the centuries abandoned and lost the gospel of grace that salvation is a gift of God freely given in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In this place, the church taught that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not enough. We must add our own good works to Jesus' works before we can enter into heaven. And for those who haven't done enough, and that's the vast majority of everyone in the church, there's purgatory, an outskirt of hell where there is suffering and cleansing until one is ready to enter into heaven and by the payment of money called indulgences, and that money went to the church to build the St. Peter's Basilica one could shorten the time of his loved one in purgatory. Luther challenged that in these 95 theses. And his challenge sparked a great reformation in the church. When we talk about a reformation, we're talking about a church that being formed over again, to reform, form over a reformation in the church. Through the leadership like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and others, the church rediscovered the gospel of grace which it had lost long ago and further developed the truths of the scriptures. This resulted in the establishment of churches throughout Europe that turned back to the word of God that were faithful and found salvation full and free in Jesus Christ, the great, Protestant Reformation, and we are the children of that Reformation. However, sadly, many children of the Reformation have lost their heritage. They and their churches have not kept the doctrines of Scripture and the practices of the Word of God rediscovered in the Reformation. They've abandoned them for the doctrines of men and the sinful practices of the world. It didn't happen overnight. It was a matter of generations. The church never dies of a heart attack. The church dies of a slow working cancer. But many churches who long ago stood four square on the word of God, have lost it. We must be careful not to do that. We must be careful to maintain our Reformation heritage. To that end, I call your attention to the words of Jesus in Luke 11, verse 28. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus had cast out a demon. And some charged that he cast out devils in the name of Beelzebub, the chief of devils. Jesus responded, if that's correct, then Satan is casting out his own workers and is working against himself and his kingdom. The very fact that he casts out the minions of Satan, the archenemy of God, indicates that it was by the power of God that he was doing these great miracles. One woman in the company of hearers responded positively. Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps, or the breasts, which thou hast sucked. What this woman said was correct. Remember Elizabeth, the aged Elizabeth, six months pregnant with a miracle child, John the Baptist? came to Mary, her cousin, who also was carrying a child by the work of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Mary entered into the house, the babe in Elizabeth's womb leaped, leapt, and Mary and Elizabeth by the Holy Spirit prophesied, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. This woman was correct, but she was incomplete. There was more. And so in the passage we consider tonight, Jesus shows who is even more blessed, more richly blessed than Mary, the mother of Christ, those who hear and keep the word of God. This is what we must do. In so doing, we will keep our Reformation heritage, and we will receive a great blessing, greater even than Mary. There we go. Well, my leg says it's time. This morning, I got half, two thirds through this sermon, but that leg doesn't want to stay anymore. <laughs> I got to rearrange things here. Hang on. All right. The theme is the blessedness of hearing and keeping the word of God. There's three ideas there. The word of God, number 1, two, the hearing and keeping of that word, and the third one, the blessedness of doing that. So let's start with the word of God mentioned here. And in the original, the word word refers specifically to a spoken word we're talking about the word that God speaks and whenever God speaks he speaks through Jesus Christ John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was and the word was God and verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth that jesus is called the word means that whenever god speaks he speaks through jesus the word of god come into our flesh And Jesus is the chief prophet of God speaking to us as God's eternal Son. There are three with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the chief prophet of God as the Son of God. Going on in this chapter, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. As the Word of God, as the Eternal Son, Jesus speaks every word of God to us. He did that in the Old Testament, even though he was not yet born as the Mediator. But as the Eternal Son, It was he who raised up the prophets of old and spoke through them every word. Then he was born and came into our flesh, and for three and a half years, a short ministry, he spoke the word of God in a way that the prophets never understood or could. And then after his ascension into heaven, he continued to speak the word of God through the apostles. And after about the year 100, the word of God was complete. The last was spoken through John on the island of Patmos. And Jesus is still speaking the word of God today, but in a different way. God has nothing new to say after he spoke through John the Apostle on the island of Patmos. But every word that was spoken through the prophets, through Jesus' ministry, through the apostles, has been infallibly, perfectly recorded in Holy Scriptures. Here we have the perfect record, the full record of all that Jesus spoke as the prophet of God. Here you have the word of God. And through the preaching of God's Word by the church, through the ordained ministry, God is still preaching, still speaking to us. When a man of God called to the office by Christ, to the office of prophet in the church, faithfully explains the Word of God, God is speaking His Word through Christ and through the mouth of a faithful minister. He is still speaking, and you are hearing the Word of God. What is that Word of God that speaks to us, that is spoken through Jesus? The Word of God is always about Himself, and the work of salvation He performs in His Son, Jesus Christ. The word that God speaks through Jesus Christ is, first of all, not about us. It's got something to say to us, but it's, first of all, not about us. The word that God speaks is about Himself. He reveals who He is, the Creator, the Sovereign God. He speaks of His virtues. What a glorious and wonderful God He is. He speaks about the works of salvation he performs in Jesus Christ, his own son in the flesh. And in that connection, he speaks about us. He speaks in his word about the purpose of creating us. Why did he even make us? So that we could serve him to his delight and our enjoyment. He speaks about how we have sinned in Adam. And continued that every day of our life and that we are hopelessly lost if we stand by ourselves he speaks of the salvation he provides full and free in Jesus Christ for his own and how to find that salvation by faith he speaks about how we are to live that salvation in every part of our life and he speaks about the hope for the future That those who belong to Jesus have the hope of eternal life. That's the Word of God. God has not revealed everything there is to know about Him. He's infinite. In heaven, we're going to have the joy forever and ever to learn more and more about God. This is just the beginning. There is much more to come. But no matter how much we learn about Him, He's infinite. There's no limit. We'll never never completely get it all. But here we have all that we need for this lifetime, the Word of God. And this Word of God has been set forth and summarized in our creeds. The word creed means, I believe, credeo. The early church, living as they did among unbelieving hostile Jews as they did among the Gentile pagan community wanted a concise statement to express what they believed out of the word of God. And that was the Apostles' Creed, not written by the Apostles, but written by the church over a period of time. The last phrase was added in the year 600. But, to set forth succinctly what they believe, what the Bible teaches, but in a very simple, direct way. Those creeds didn't equal the Bible, they simply set forth what the church saw to be the main teaching of the Bible. And then more came. Short creeds, because there was the Trinitarian controversy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are these? How are they related? And so the Creed of Nicaea was written by the established by the Church, the Council of Nicaea. And the Athanasian Creed, and there were other small creeds establishing who the Son who Jesus is as the Son of God. But then in the Reformation the 1500s, early 1600s, more creeds came because the church, as we said, lost the gospel, the one big Roman Catholic church. And as the truth was rediscovered and further developed, these earlier creeds were not sufficient. More things had to be said, and so more creeds were written. In the Presbyterian tradition, Westminster, and the Reformation of the Netherlands, our creeds, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, and then 50 years later, the Belgic, uh, the, the, uh, it was the Belgian Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism, and then 50 years later, to settle an Arminian controversy, the Canons of Dort. Beautiful, wonderful creeds that summarize what the church understands to be the truth of God's word in these all-important doctrines. If you want to know what the Word of God teaches, it's all summarized there. If you want to explain it to somebody else, what is this Bible all about? These creeds are a tremendous help. So that's the first point. Now the hearing and keeping of the Word of God. Jesus speaks of hearing the Word of God, and the present tense in the original suggests that we're talking about those who are ongoing hearers of the Word of God. They're interested in the Word of God. They receive the Word of God positively. They embrace the Word of God by faith, and thus they are present as much as possible wherever the Word of God is spoken. When the church gathers for worship and the Word of God is proclaimed, as much as possible, they're there. And in their family, in their homes, the Word of God is there. They have family worship where the Word of God is read and meditated upon individually and as a family when their fellow saints get together they like to talk about the word of God and when the word of God is discussed they're there whether it's on an official an organized way or or not they're there to hear and to learn the word of God now not everybody is that way are they not even in the church There are those in the church world of whom it can be said this word of God has a rather low priority in their lives. Other things are much more important. And so their church attendance is sort of hit and miss. It doesn't take much to keep them home from church. And the the Bible may be in their home, but it, it gathers dust. It's not used in the home. It's not spoken in the home. It's not taught much to the children. When the saints of God get together to discuss the word of God, they, they generally aren't there. The word of God has been set on the back burner of their life. And Then, of course, when that happens... Well, what you do with your family and your children, they will follow. Often where the parents walk, the children will run. When there is a low priority on the scriptures and the word of God and being in the house of God, the next generation or two are completely indifferent to the word of God. And pretty soon in the generation, they're hostile to the word of God. That's the way it happens. Don't forget, what you do with your family will have implications to the third and fourth generation of your family. Well, we're talking about those who hear the word eagerly. But Jesus also speaks about those who keep the word. Now usually when we talk about keeping the word of God, like keeping the law, we're talking about obeying. But that's not the word here. The word to keep means to guard it safely in your heart as a precious treasure so that you'll let no one take it from you. The word of God is truly a treasure above all treasures. What else can show you the way of salvation? What else can show you the way of approval of the living God? This is it. There's no greater treasure. The devil would like to take it from you. The devil would like to take the word of God away from you and your family, and your generations. He does that in a number of ways. He does that, first of all, by deception, craftily twisting the Scriptures. For example, it's very common for new content to be poured into biblical concepts. N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, of England. I think he's an Anglican. Paul's new view of justification completely twists and distorts the biblical view of justification. It makes justification no more than an acknowledgement of God in the last judgment that you belong to the church. Election. If you're going to deal with the Bible, you've got to deal with election. It's in the Bible often. And the Bible teaches sovereign election, where God chooses unto salvation, unto faith, unto obedience, unto faithfulness. That's twisted. It's been twisted all the way from the time of the Reformation. The canons of Dort were written over against that. The election? Well, the election is God choosing whom he could see, would believe, and be faithful. That's it, that's all it amounts to. And it's revocable. It can be rejected by God. And then there are theological terms that have been twisted and new content poured into it. In the Reformed tradition, we talk about the total depravity of fallen man. Total depravity. Oh yeah, man is totally depraved, some say. That means every part of him is somehow depraved. The totality of man. Heart, mind, but not so that he can't do any good. He can do a lot of good yet, but every part is somehow damaged. And so we have to come up with another term, absolute depravity. Every part of us is totally, completely depraved incapable of doing any good. But that term is twisted. And the same thing with the infallibility of Scripture. People say, yeah, I believe the infallibility. Well, you better find out what they mean. Does it mean it's inerrant? Well, well, no, it's not inerrant. It's got all kinds of errors in it. Well, what do you mean it's infallible? Well, the gospel message is, 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 is dependable. But there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that's not part of the gospel message, and, and that's, that's not so good always. And then, still on that point of deception and twisting the scriptures, it's what I call eisegesic. Eisegesis eisegesis. We were told in seminary to exegete. Go to the scriptures and pull out of the scriptures what they teach and proclaim it. That's how we're trained. That's what's in our pulpits. A lot of preaching is you read things into the scriptures. You come with an idea. Often an idea set in your mind by the world, the world's agenda, and you read it into the scriptures. And if you Quote scriptures out of context. You can read about almost anything into the Bible that it doesn't really say. And the devil is behind it trying to take the word of God away from us and our children. Now this is the second thing. In addition to twisting the meaning of scripture, Satan appeals to the pride and lusts of our sinful nature. And our sinful nature doesn't want the word of God. That was true already of Eve in the garden. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. it. From the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Satan came in the form of a serpent. Did he really say that? Ha, he's lying to you. He knows that if you eat of this forbidden fruit, you'll become as him. Oh, that sounded pretty good to Eve. And sin crept in her heart. Pride. And Satan is still doing that. Most false doctrines take away from the glory of God and give it to man. And and that's appealing. And so way back in Jesus' day or in Paul's day, the apostles, there were those in the church who said, Jesus didn't do enough. You've got to add your own works. Now that's pretty heady. I'm going to be responsible for my own salvation. And so Paul, in his letters, exposed that, condemned that, and for Bozen here, the church comes to that later and resurrects it with a new suit of clothes. That's what they did. And it's pretty heady. We're maintaining in, in our own salvation. And then, one more example, the social gospel. That's catching on. That sounds really nice. We're going to make a heaven here on earth. That's pretty heady. That appeals to us, to our sinful nature. So, he twists the scriptures. He appeals to our pride. And then he, thirdly, distracts us with the pleasures and treasures of this world. So, There's no more time left for the scriptures. You know, from the time I was a teenager until now, and I see my grandchildren as teenagers, the pace of life has simply quickened. It's fast. And if we're not careful, there's no time for the word. We've got so many other irons in the fire. There's no time. And And a lot of these things we we enjoy. They're pleasurable. And here comes the Internet the last 20-some years. Wow. And if we're not careful, we can be so distracted. We don't have time for the Word. We don't have time for Bible study in the home. We don't have time to go to church with our fellow saints and study the Bible. And yeah, we're kind of busy on Sunday, too. The devil's there. And then, last but not least, there's intimidation. You stand four square in the word of God. You confess it. You defend it. You live it. The devil will make you pay a price. He'll make sure that you are marginalized in society. And as we heard this morning, even persecuted as the churches now in Myanmar are being Actively persecuted. And that's not the only place in the world. And so it's important not just to be a hearer of the word, but also to keep it so that Satan doesn't take it away from you in your generations. And those who hear the word, who love the word, who want to hear it, generally keep it but they must be instructed to. How does one effectively keep or guard the Word of God? He grows, first of all, in the knowledge of God's Word in Scripture. The principle is set forth in Amos, no, Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That was way back in the days of the prophet. And it's also true today in the church world. There is a, a, an alarming lack of knowledge of Scripture in the church world today. And if you don't know the Scriptures and are deeply s- set firm in the Scriptures The devil can take it away from you very, very easily. And that's what's happening. And to that end, therefore, we must seek the pure preaching of the word. We need to sit under regularly the preaching of God's word. And then that same word must be brought home with us. And we must search the scriptures and study the scriptures individually as families. And in the fellowship of the saints, you can't stand against the devil all by yourself. You can't. If you're going to live on the fringes of the church. Okay, you're here, but that's the existence of your participation in the church. You're in trouble. We need the fellowship of the saints studying. Reflecting upon the word, teaching each other, learning from each other. And that brings me then to the fact that we must evaluate every new idea according to the standard of scripture, as did the Bereans. Paul, Silas, Luke, and others on the second missionary journey came to Berea. And as their practice was, they went, first of all, to the Jewish synagogue. And being Jews, they had a right to read scripture and to explain. And Paul would do that, how that he would show from the Old Testament scriptures, because that's all they had then, that Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, crucified, risen, is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scripture. And we read of the Bereans that they were more noble than the others of other Jewish communities. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether the teachings of Paul were so. Acts 17, verse 11. Notice, this was a group of believers who knew the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. It wasn't just a rabbi. They knew the scriptures and they knew how to use it. And they evaluated everything that they heard in light of the scriptures that they had. And when Paul came with his new message, they could search the scriptures and come to the proper conclusion of faith, he's right, Jesus is the Messiah. Now that's an example for us. We have to be able, we have to know how to use the scriptures. And we have to know how to work together with our knowledge of the scriptures. Not just rely upon a minister or a leader, but together. Know how to use the scriptures to evaluate every new thing that comes our way. That's how we stand against the devil. And then finally, we have to have appreciation for our creeds. The Apostles' Creed, and then our Reformed creeds that are much more extensive. There's basically no new thing under the sun. The church has dealt with those things in the past. Let's learn. Let's learn, and let's make sure that we don't get carried away with some fa- brand new fangled thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't guide the church into, into truth by all of a sudden, 2,000 years after Christ, coming up with something brand new that the church never, never had. They had it maybe in seed form, and now it's more fully developed, but that's the problem, By for example, with the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Now all of a sudden, of the last century, oh, here is something new. It wasn't in the church before. There's something wrong about that. Well, the church has often failed to keep the word of God. <clears throat> As we indicated in the introduction, the Roman Catholic Church failed to keep the Word of God so that the gospel has been lost and is no longer heard and not even desired. The Church gradually adopted the error of the Judaizing teachers that Paul exposed and condemned in his day that were justified by faith and works. It's not enough what Christ has done, we must add our own works. And to promote and protect this error, the Scriptures were even taken from the people. At the time of the Reformation, it was against the law in certain areas to even have a Scripture. They were considered dangerous. Martin Luther had translated into the German language. What in the world? The people are going to have the Scriptures? They're not even qualified to have the Scriptures. That's only for the priests and the clergy who are ordained. That's not for the people. That's for the people. There's just these images in the church that can't speak. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church has gone so far to say that the Bible isn't even primary in understanding the truth. Not even primary. Not even necessary. It's what the Pope says. It's what the church councils say. That is the standard of truth. And that led to all kinds of abuses, indulgences that Martin Luther fought, mariolatry. You can't even approach Jesus and through him God directly. He's so high and holy. You have to go through Mary, his mother. And so there's a a whole theology of Mary which completely takes away the gospel of salvation. God brought reformation to the church through Luther and Calvin and others. This resulted in a turning back to the word of God and further development and understanding set forth and summarized beautifully in our creeds. And at that time, many heard and rejoiced and they kept it in the face of persecution, in the face of ridicule. They kept it and preserved it. And they pass it on to their children and their children's children. But as we indicated, repeatedly the church has slipped away from these truths so that they're no longer kept. They're no longer heard. There's no longer listening. The great church of the Reformation and the Reformed They reformed a character, lost. They lost everything, just about. So there was a reformation, the offskiding, the separation of 1834. Then later on, in the late 1800s, Abraham Kuyper, a a brilliant theologian who was brought up and taught liberalism and was brought to the faith by a, a simple woman who brought him to task. And these two church movements joined that's where we have our, our heritage. They were known as the But even these have slipped. Even these have slipped. Let's not say, well, we are Protestant Reformed. This kind of stuff will never happen to us. It will if we don't keep what we have. If we don't keep what we have. Finally, the blessedness. Those who do not hear the Word of God and retain it as a treasure are not blessed. They fall under the judgment of God. This was true of Jesus' own generation. For the most part, they would not hear the Word of God that Jesus brought. The ones who did were only a small minority. They simply wouldn't hear. In fact, they constantly asked Jesus after miracle after miracle, show us a sign, show us a sign. And so we read in the passage, in the verses after our text, and when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And then now listen. The Queen of the South, that's the Queen of Sheba, shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Remember the Queen of Sheba? She had heard some fantastic things about Solomon. She couldn't believe it, so she came with her entourage, and she searched out the wisdom, the power, the riches of Solomon, and she was breathless. She says, the half wasn't told me. And she embraced what Solomon had and embraced the word of God. Look how far away she came, all the way from Ethiopia, from the south. And she embraced the word of God. She shall rise, says Jesus, in the day of judgment and condemn you who had the word of God in your generations. And then he talks about Nineveh. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, a greater than Jonah is here, a greater than Solomon, a greater than Jonah. The Son of God come in the flesh with the word of God, and you will not hear. The Ninevites, the Queen of Sheba, will rise in the day of judgment and condemn you. There is only judgment for those who will not hear the word of God, whether it's in the church or out of the church. There's judgment in this life. Those who will not hear the word of God and keep it are consigned to follow the foolishness of sin and human wisdom. Look at our society today. I look back over the last 65 years when I started taking notice of things. Wow. What a difference. There's no more outward integrity. Outward morality is almost gone. Things that are abominable are not only accepted but also embraced. There's a phrase that Paul uses They glory in their shame. Things that they ought to be ashamed of, they glory and boast about. Marriage. Marriage is mocked. Marriage is cast aside. Divorce and remarriage. Living together without marriage. No problem. Families are falling apart. Children are not learning. No motivation, well we'll, well, we'll put a Band-Aid on it with the public schools. And then we'll follow, follow the advice of the world. Our, our, our society has fallen under the judgment of God spoken of in Romans chapter one. <clears throat> Those who will serve God rather than the creator will finally be judged with homosexuality. And that's what we have in our society homosexuality is not only accepted, but it's, it's looked on as being normal. And homosexual marriage, and now transgenderism. A child determines, am I a boy or a girl, or am I something in between, or whatever am I? This is God's judgment. And it brings nothing but trouble and sorrow and shame to this generation those who will not hear the word of God are condemned to be part of this. And then afterwards, in eternity, the judgment of hell. But what blessing for those who hear and keep the word of God. Those that hear and keep God's word will by the power of that word embrace Jesus Christ And find the salvation of God and in that salvation they will find blessing upon blessing upon blessing there is first of all the joy of knowing God John 17 verse 3 this is part of Jesus high priestly prayer on the night in which he was arrested He said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You want life? You want really to live? You must know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that's not just knowledge up here. Yeah, that too, but it's knowledge of faith, a knowledge of an intimate relationship. The knowledge of love. Those who hear the Word of God and keep it come to know God as their God. Come to know Him as a wife comes to know her husband, as a son knows comes to know his father. There is no greater good than that. Comes to know a God to whom He has access all the time who will care for Him and provide for Him. That's the blessing to those who hear the word and keep it. And then there is the joy of forgiveness. Even the holiest men in this life have only a small beginning of obedience. Those who know, those who hear the word of God and keep it, will by that word be brought to Jesus Christ to confess their sins and to find forgiveness and reconciliation with God. What a blessing. And then they will have the joy of deliverance from sin to serve the living God. Great blessings come to those who serve the Lord. Blessings in their marriage, their family, their whole life. These blessings come to those who hear the word of God and keep it. And that word becomes the power in Jesus Christ to turn from sin unto God to find the joy of serving Him and serving others. And that is a blessing that far surpasses the blessing of being the mother of Jesus. Yes, that was a great blessing for Mary, but this is greater yet, to hear the word of God and to keep it. May God grant that so that we as the children of the Reformation may hear the word of God and keep it for ourselves and train our children and our grandchildren to do the same amen father in heaven what a great heritage is ours to be children of the Reformation Lord we're thankful for what we have we're a small group a small denomination that doesn't make a difference and Lord we're not perfect and we have many things that are weak we have many weaknesses Lord, we're thankful that we are a church that hears thy word. Lord, lead us continually to do that and to keep it for us and our children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.